Welcome to Midwifing America, Episode 3, Bridging the Home Hospital Divide. The idea is that if we can figure out how to support normal physiologic birth and care for midwives and then have only a small percentage of people need to then move up into higher levels of care, perhaps we can save costs and improve outcomes. In today's episode, we examine why women value home birth and the ways in which community midwives and hospitals can work together for the best outcomes. A really basic, simple question is like, how do you want to feel? in the midst of your birth and base everything off of that. I'm Angie Chisholm. I'm Kate Bowen. I'm Emily Yace. And I'm Katie Robbins. We are Midwife in America, a new podcast to reimagine maternity care and other issues affecting women. Hi, I'm Kate Bowen, and welcome to this special episode of Midwifing America. First, we hear from mother of five, Kaylin Wager. She explains why access to home birth is important to her and her family. I had my first baby when I was 21, and at that time, there was no social media. There was no internet as easily accessible as there is now. So I remember going to the library and having the librarian... Um, pull out the card catalog and help me find a book on natural childbirth. And I fell in love with the Bradley method and everything in the book was kind of embodying more of the home birth and the father figure um, partner of the woman as a coach that made the most sense to me. I think when you remove right now, we're not so inundated with all this information that when you are able to just step in and walk with your, like what naturally resonates with you, um, that did. I was like, I was just in love with it. And this is like full on from what the seventies, you know, I mean, they were showing all their glory and still I was like, there was no fear surrounding, oh my gosh, is this going to happen? Or is that going to happen? I was like, this is, um, really what I want. And moving from the Vancouver, Washington area at the time, we went and interviewed a couple midwives and nobody resonated with me that I felt comfortable with, Um, having my baby at home with. So with my first, I did have a hospital birth, but I really embodied everything of a home birth down to right after I had the baby shortly afterwards, I went home and I had postpartum care. Um, Afterwards, I was able to be honored and I got exactly what I wanted, but in a hospital setting. Um, After that, I found an amazing midwife that I was like, literally she could do open heart surgery on me and I'd trust her. It was like that kind of a... Like, she's just amazing. We had the opportunity to sit down with Kaylin's midwife as she discusses bridging the home hospital divide. My name is Melissa Cheney, and I'm a medical anthropologist. I have a PhD in anthropology from the University of Oregon. And I'm also a licensed direct entry midwife and a CPM, and I have an active home birth practice in Corvallis, Oregon. Dr. Melissa Cheney is not only a highly respected midwife in Oregon, she's also a prominent researcher and an internationally recognized speaker and educator in the field of midwifery. I have uh, several projects and they're all kind of interrelated. So I would say the sort of big research question that frames my work is how can we use midwifery and doulas and other models of really relationship-centered care 
to decrease poor outcomes, improve access to culturally matched care, and save money. Most of my work is in the U.S., um, but that is with an eye to the fact that the U.S. does seem to influence a lot of what happens in low and middle resource countries. So the idea is that if we can figure out how to support normal physiologic birth and care from midwives, um, and then have only a small percentage of people need to then move up into higher levels of care, perhaps we can save costs and improve outcomes. So um, in order to study that, I have been the head of a grassroots data collection project that started in 2004. I joined in 2007. It's called the Mana Statistics Project. And it is an online data collection tool that tries to capture data about outcomes in home and birth centers around the United States. Dr. Cheney was one of the researchers in an important study suggesting that lack of access to midwives is one of the leading problems with maternity care in America. So I participated in a study as one of the researchers uh, started a few years ago and the outcomes were just published about a month ago and it was called the mapping study and it created an index of levels of integration for each state. So we picked 100 different factors that signaled integration. And that included access to all forms of midwifery care. It looked at a, a series of things that would suggest the systems were integrated. And the highest score you could get was 100, and the lowest was zero. And the highest state in the US was Washington State at a 61. So. That's great for Washington, but it also suggests that there's a long way to go, even in the most ideal state. So after we created that, I also say Oregon was a 58. The lowest was North Carolina at a 17. What we found is that that score on integration really reliably predicts maternal and neonatal outcomes. So in states that have excellent integration or high integration, outcomes are better. And by good outcomes, I mean higher rates of spontaneous vaginal birth, lower cesarean, higher breastfeeding rates, lower mortality rates. And in states that have poor integration, the outcomes are also poor. It doesn't describe all the variation. The best predictor is race. And being African-American in our country puts you at extraordinary risk through institutionalized racism for poor outcomes. And that was a better predictor than midwifery integration, but midwifery integration still explained 12% of all the variation. So that study was important because it showed what we know from the international research, and that is a midwifery-dominated model of care with integration across levels of care is the best possible option for improving outcomes and saving costs. So like I said, we knew that was true in other places, but it hadn't really been looked at in the U.S. until that study. And it suggests that we have some of the same things to think about here. Let's go back to our mom of five, Kaylin, as she offers advice for women considering where and with whom to give birth. Definitely just be curious and open. You know, interview home birth midwives. Go visit the birthing centers. Um, go visit the, the hospital birth center. Um, I would just be very aware of when fear steps in and when you're making these decisions, what are they based out of? Is it based out of um, like worst case scenario, best case scenario, um, and ultimately like settle in, how do I wanna feel? Like set that intention beforehand and 
believe you can manifest this beautiful birth, but know that if something happens that's outside of your control, you are partnered with someone that you know has your best interest and above all that baby. And I think the thing for me is that I feel like we go to the hospital when something's wrong and something isn't well. Like energetically, we go there and we're like, oh my gosh, I have a really bad cut or my stomach hurts or I have a really high fever. So for me, going into the hospital to give birth just didn't make just did not resonate and make sense with me because nothing was wrong. My body was doing something that it is created and intended to do. And with each kid that was able to watch their sibling be born, I loved that they were able to see just the whole process. And I did have some, you know, um, like with my third, I ended up having a retained placenta and we were able to partner and utilize the hospital because that was a emergency. And my kids were able to see this partnership with midwife to hospital as I was transported by ambulance. Because um, when you have a very competent, on top of it midwife, there's a lot of signs that, that lead up to the fact that um, we need to go to the hospital because this is an emergency, something is not right. And so I've had a lot of different experiences and they've all ended up well, amazing and beautiful. While talking about the home hospital divide with Melissa Cheney, she explains how changing our current model of care could improve outcomes while reducing costs. The model that I like to teach and the way I sort of frame it in my head is uh, Miller and colleagues have proposed a way of talking about global systems of maternity care and she calls them too much too soon and too little too late systems. And the U.S. has a too much too soon system. So we have... Uh, overused interventions that are life-saving when used appropriate, but carry their own risks if they're used too frequently. So too frequent use drives maternal mortality, it drives C-section rate, it contributes to poor than expected outcomes for the baby. Um, it's associated with maternal suffering, both psychosocial and clinical, and it costs an enormous amount of money, like $110 billion a year in our country. And so um, the inverse of that is that in other places where I work as an anthropologist, we see the opposite and that's too little too late. And that's women who die in childbirth because they can't get access to the drugs we overuse like Pitocin to manage a hemorrhage. So that sort of rampant global inequity and in access to maternity care resources causes us to have elevated mortality associated with over-intervention and other places to have high mortality related to under-intervention. And if we could learn to think at a more sort of systems level across different countries, so use sort of a global perspective, a cross-cultural perspective, I think we could work towards a more equitable distribution of resources that would benefit high-risk country or high-intervention um, countries and low-intervention countries. And to make it more complicated, any one country can have too much too soon or too little too late models. And so the U.S. is a classic example of that. We have the highest percentage of underserved people in our country who go to the hospital in labor never having received prenatal care. So you have that coexisting in a country where we also have really high rates of intervention. So we need to do some serious thinking as a nation about how we could could turn that around. And for me, and a lot of the work that I've done, I think that really comes down to collaboration and trying to think and work across what medical anthropologists sometimes call the home hospital divide. 
and that is a sort of a chasm ideologically and clinically between providers who work in a, in a home or birth center setting, so what we call community setting, and those who work in a hospital. And because we've been sort of pitched against each other in a for-profit medical system, there hasn't been a lot of opportunity with some really amazing regional examples that I'll talk about to, to talk across that difference. And that's what really has to happen if we're going to see a more equitable distribution of these resources. So we use this model in medical anthropology that's called a hierarchy of resort. And you can kind of think about it as a triangle. And in most countries around the world, when someone gets sick or has a condition where they might seek out medical care, the bottom of the pyramid where most people go is first home remedies or things that they can find in their own community. And when that doesn't work, they could move up to, to getting some medical care and then maybe eventually up to specialist care. But you don't have everyone in the system going straight to specialist care at the top of the pyramid to start with because it's too expensive and it's a, it's a waste of resources. And so there has been some critique of our country to say that our maternity care system is set up sort of with the triangle flipped around so that you've got 90% of people going to the hospital and getting really high level obstetric specialty care and only 10% getting care from midwives in a hospital, a birth center or a home. And really we should be thinking about flipping that and keeping healthy women in midwifery care and then gradually referring up the system until they get the level of care that they need. So you've got the maternal risk level her personal preferences, her cultural belief systems, her um, needs spiritually, all being taken into consideration, and she moves up and down in that system where it's most appropriate for her. But that would require integration and collaboration across different provider types in different locations, and that has been a huge struggle for our country. We, we have a very difficult time doing that. Kaylin details the birth of her second baby when she had planned a home birth and circumstances changed. My second hospital birth was like, literally I called up the doctor and I'm like, my midwife had her baby. I literally need to go in and just borrow your room, birth the baby, because I'm RH negative, mm -hmm. and then I'll go home. Yeah. And he was really like kind where like his nurses did not even step in or intervene at all. I birthed her. They checked my blood because I'm Rh negative. I kept my shoes on and pushed her out. <laughs> Went into and like hosed myself off. And they got my I always call them like the hot pair of netting panties, you know, yeah. that we get to go home with. And then I carried her out and I went home. This like within hours after having her, um, I jokingly told the doctor. I said, um, I promise, I promise you to, that I will have you home in time for dinner. So make sure and tell your wife that because when I called him saying I'm just gonna need you to cover but it won't be like middle of the night. It was like three o'clock or something, you know? Um, yeah, it worked out really well. So then when I went home, I was able to have Missy take over postpartum care because that was a little bit more flexible as far as timing and her assistant was able to um, handle that. So to me, I still feel like I had not a complete home birth experience, but I still felt like I was in control and I got exactly what I wanted. Again, with you kind of got to keep your hands open when it comes to birth and not have these fixated you know, ideals, um, I was able to really keep this beautiful experience and have really beautiful photography and all of that in the midst of a last minute change. 
Here, Kaylin describes a successful home-to-hospital bridge and how it felt to transfer to a higher level of care in an emergency. Oh my gosh, I remember feeling like during the labor I was having a contraction for my placenta. If I don't even know if this is even like scientifically correct, and then one for the baby. So I feel like in transition I had like two massive contractions, one right after the other. Um, so I remember when he was born being like, thank God. But then I remember that the pain didn't stop because my body was trying so hard to get that, that placenta out. And I remember Missy remaining really calm. Now there's like calm where it's like, oh, whatever. And then there's calm where it's like, I'm going to like, I'm putting on like my, my business hat right now. And we are like, this is like legit, but I never, you can smell fear. A woman in labor can just sense it. And I never felt it at one point. Missy was fearful. Um, and there got to a point where she was like, we've tried everything to get the placenta out. So we're gonna have to take you by ambulance. And I remember being like, what? Oh my gosh. I remember them wheeling me out and like waving at my neighbors, like mowing or watering their lawn at five thirty in the morning. So it's like, what else do you do? You got to make the best of it. I'm like, all is okay. I had the baby. He's healthy. And, um, and then I just remember like, yeah, going to the ride and I remember them putting in the, the, IV. the IV that was like the blood transfusion IV. So it was really big. And just having like, again, I felt very level headed considering the fact that there was an emergency because it's kind of like, you know how they say that in stressful situations, a, a parent kind of sets the pace and the mood. That's exactly what I think it is when you're dealing with a midwife. She sets the pace and the mood for what I'm going in there to expect. And I never, you know, heard like felt or like, oh my gosh, this something really bad's going to happen. It's like, hey, we've done all we can here. Now we got to go on to the next step. And I'm still here with you and you're supported. And I was able to have my husband stay with the baby and bring him to me separately. Um, again, like Missy just holds this presence about her that she comes in this, like, let's work together. There's not these barriers and these walls. And I think that's also becoming more of the norm, but it's also kind of can be rare to have such a, you know, she's never met the doctor that was on call. And once we got the placenta out, she let Missy finish checking me to see if I tore. And if I did need to be stitched, she was going to let Missy stitch me up in the hospital. And that just shows and this was like, you know, Pearl, that was Khalil, that was six years ago. So just think of how much more further we've, we've come because we had this, um, just this open mind that like we need each other, we really do. You know, the birth world, um, home birth, you know, in the hospital. When, when we think about why birth in a community setting is safe, it is not because nothing ever goes wrong in a community setting. What I think we need to remember is that the primary job of a midwife in a community setting is to support normal physiologic birth, but it's also timely and skilled response to first-line complications. Because you can have a low-risk mother who hemorrhages or has a baby that needs a little help to get started. So it isn't about the no-risk, which is a clinical fiction, the no-risk person, having a birth outside of the hospital and everybody else going to the hospital. It is about skilled care with seamless movement across place. So if you start at home and conditions arise that are concerning, there should be easy access to hospital care. And I think 
it isn't just about going into the hospital to get a cesarean. And that's what I think people think, that you're either going to be home and have the perfect birth with candlelight and everything, or you're going to go to the hospital and have a cesarean section. But in fact, the vast majority of people who need to move from the community setting need an epidural and some Pitocin. They have a long, hard, non-progressing labor and the mother is tired. There are certainly but rare instances of emergencies that occur at home, and that's what tends to be focused on. But 90% of transfers are non-emergent. They are for a long, slow, non-progressive labor. But in general, if a woman goes into labor planning to deliver at home, but has a long, non-progressive labor and chooses to go in for some support, it's seamless. I call ahead, find out who's on, we talk on the phone, we come in. My clients are really well prepared. They know that that's what a transfer will look like. Most of them do express some disappointment about not getting the birth that they wanted. I think there is a lot of envisioning of, you know, what their ideal home birth is going to look like. Uh, But they also feel really empowered and completely happy with the way they're treated when they get to the hospital. Some of them have concerns that their choice will have been disrespected or they'll run into someone who tells them they weren't a good candidate or, you know, whatever it is. And and I just, in the last several years working together, I just haven't had anyone who has had that experience. And it also means that I hardly ever see the obstetricians because so rarely will someone need a cesarean in my practice. The, it's about 5.6%. So most of the births um, are going to occur either at home or with some assistance um, in the hospital. And they'll occur vaginally and then very rarely we'll need someone for a cesarean. It's hard to say, I think, how much like my practice and the clientele I serve would represents the whole U.S. population. There have been estimates that as high as 80% of women globally could deliver in a community setting. I think that's really hard to know and to think through because I think all of us who work in the U.S. see an increasingly unhealthy population of people that we're caring for. But those kinds of questions need to be asked and need to be studied. No matter, I think, where you come down on that 80%, whether it's an over and underestimate, far more people could give birth without the interventions that we routinely use. I think we know that. Although Kaylin's last two babies were born at home, she did have to have a visit to the hospital to help with the baby's position. Well, with my fourth, he was breached. So I did have to go in and get a breech version at 37 weeks because I had my third the day I turned 37 weeks. So they were like, you know, we're going to try to, you know, the whole have a home birth breech delivery and just everything that wraps around that, you know. So I ended up having a breech version. He very easily turned head down. And um, besides the back labor that I never want to experience again, it really was um, a very quick um, birth. And I remember calling after, like two hours after he was born, I called for my husband to get a vasectomy because I said, never again will I experience back labor. And the lady was like, okay, well, you're about six weeks out before we can actually get you in. I'm like, my baby's an hour old in my arms. We can wait six weeks because nothing's happened in that time. And you could tell there was that awkward pause. And then she busted out and laughed over. She was like, okay. So that kind of says a little bit about that, that birth. You know, my body was, was done at that point. So yeah. And then 
Uh, my husband did end up getting the vasectomy and then I got pregnant after his vasectomy with baby number five. And I remember calling it Missy being like, so, and there's just that awkward kind of pause. And she's like, no, you can't be pregnant. And I'm like, yep. And we just both had again, that moment of peace <laughs> on the phone of just taking that moment of like, oh my gosh. And then it's like, okay, let's, let's do this again. And my fifth was, it was a magical, magical birth. Um, we live out in the country and we have this back deck and, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, he was born literally like I saw the big dipper, the little dipper, the, you know, big moon. And he was born right under it outside it in the night. And it was as far as like, when you look at like romanticizing what a birth is, that definitely embodied a lot of that. But I'm like, heck, I earned that because of my other ones that came before that. Um, luckily, all my postpartum was always a really beautiful like recovery and sweet time with each of them. While Kaylin's birth stories help us understand the value of seamless care between home and hospital settings, Dr. Cheney clarifies the factors that continue to contribute to the home-hospital divide and offers hope for moving forward. So those relationships, I think, stem from multiple generations now of socialization into thinking and believing and seeing day in and day out that birth can't occur without medical interventions. So I feel a lot of empathy to providers on both sides of this because in anthropology, we always say normal is simply what you're used to. And if you've attended hundreds of home births where the woman goes into labor spontaneously, has contractions, which she struggles through and finds painful, but perseveres and pushes her baby out, then you think that that is how people give birth. If you've practiced your whole career in the hospital and seen relatively high rates of augmentation and induction and cesarean section, how will you hold a different view of birth other than the one you have seen? We simply don't give each other the opportunity to frame our concept of what's normal across the different locations in our um, birthing system. So I think that leads to these pretty entrenched perspectives. I think there's only one thing that enables us to talk across that difference, and that is exposure to one another. I think one of the best things that could happen in our system is for their for home birth midwives to see normal physiologic birth in the hospital. What do we see? We see everyone who transfers and needs medical intervention. What else do we see? We see people who are traumatized from their first birth or didn't like something about it significantly enough that they're seeking out a different way when they have their next baby. And we know that's not the totality of births that occur in the hospital, but our perceptions are still shaped by hearing those stories. And the inverse is true. What do people in the hospital see? They see the home births that didn't work out, the birth center births that didn't work out. They see the women who are wanting an elective cesarean. That's going to contribute to really different perspectives. But if there were more opportunity to gather together to do interprofessional um, training and continuing education units, if we had more exposure to each other's uh, perspectives, I think that's what ultimately allows us to talk across difference. It's easy to assume someone is very different from you until you spend time talking with them and finding out there's, we do disagree on some things, but there are some pretty overarching 
commonalities. And I see a real opportunity right now around the desire to reduce the primary C-section rate. I feel like that is a really genuine desire coming from the medical establishment. And home birth midwives and birth center birth midwives have a couple of things to say about that. Our C-section rate is well below 10%. What keeps us from getting in a room together and saying, hey, how are you keeping your C-section rate so low? And hey, can you help me better identify some of these risk factors earlier on and know what to do? Because when poor outcomes happen at home or in a birth center, it's from doing too little too late. And when poor outcomes happen in the hospital, it's often from too much too soon. And one way, again, to find a more balanced perspective is to share perspectives. I'm Kate Bowen, and thanks for listening to Episode 3 of Midwifing America. Special thanks to Kaylin Wager and Dr. Melissa Cheney for their insight and expertise. Thanks to my co-hosts, Katie Robbins, Emily Yace, and Angie Chisholm for their interviews and vision for this episode. We at Midwife in America believe that bridging the home-hospital divide and creating a productive dialogue among midwives from different backgrounds is key to this model's success. Today's episode of Midwife in America was produced by Russell Choppa with all original music by Russell Choppa. We're committed to open dialogue around women's health and maternity care. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Midwife in America. If you want to join our conversation, find us at midwifingamerica.com and at midwifingamerica on Apple Podcasts, Instagram, and Facebook. This episode of Midwifing America was brought to you by the Oregon affiliate of the American College of Nurse Midwives and with a grant from the Francis T. Thatcher Foundation. 